Saying I thank you for the singing, I thank you, the prayers, the involvement in one another's lives, I thank you, thank you for just being here, it would be kind of lonely if I stood to preach and no one was here, so, Nehemiah chapter 8, would you turn there with me, Nehemiah chapter 8, I hope you're not bored with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a, a book I've used for uh, teaching leadership when I've traveled and, and taught in different places. Uh, but uh, this is more of a sort of a sermon series. Uh, chapter 8 is a Watergate revival. I don't know if that brings any uh, Watergate revival. Was that, uh, that all sounds pretty political all of a sudden, doesn't it? Well, depending on your age and background, the word Watergate may bring up various things in your mind. Politically, it was the demise of the neoconservative party, a group of political hacks now known as the Watergate Seven. Musically, it became a theme during uh, the Vietnam War, Creedence Clearwater Revival. To the jazz enthusiasts, it's Watergate Seven plus One, that's another group. To the biblical historian, Watergate may be the same fountain, it may in fact be the same fountain that pool of Siloam that we read about in the New Testament that's fed by an underground spring even to this very day. And then, depending on your religious background, the word revival may bring to mind all kinds of images. And they usually start with something like, well, you know, in my day. You ever remember those kind of stories of revival? Well, in my day, you know, we, we had revival and it lasted for two weeks or three weeks. And you imagine you try to get two people out on two consecutive services during the week, that would be something, let alone two weeks I was rehearsing some of the history of the church that I just came from. You think you have history? I came from a church of 227 years when I left that church. I mean, we go all the way back. I always said we pray, it, it was formed in the spring of George Washington's inauguration. So we have some history. So people would tell me stories. Now, they weren't still living, but you know how we pass on stories. And when we pass on stories, they always get... Right? Exaggerated. You know that a fish story goes. And so, but you know, they would drop names like, well, you know, D.L. Moody, Oliver B. Green, Happy Mac. That was one of my favorites. I, we actually had some recordings of him. Uh, Dr. Wilmington, Ron Comfort, Hal Webb, Jack Wurtson, John McAllister. Well, you know, in my day, I remember when we, well, some may remember revival was the time they got convicted of sin, right? But I've also known people that it was a time when they got offended at what was said, and they left the church. Well, you take everything you can imagine about revival and Watergate, take it all, and you kind of put it into chapter 8, and that's exactly what's going on. That's the context, the political, social, spiritual arena that we find ourselves. Songs of the day reflected political unrest and the remnant of unsettled military battles that had dragged on for centuries. Those men that they looked to for their leadership, they were themselves having political, you know, wranglings with one another, kind of sort of establishing themselves. Some of them ended up in plea bargains and prison. Older men wept for the old days. Younger men you know, they were just trying to make a new way for themselves, create new memories. All of this is going on both before and after chapter 8. But revival now comes to us at the Watergate, continues on in chapter 9. It represents a parenthesis in time when the people of God reflected upon who they were. And it's as if that, that New Testament story, that pool of Siloam, it's as if the Holy Spirit comes down and stirs the water again and is working again in the lives of his people. Revival is a time that we recognize our need for a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
in our homes, in our day-to-day activities, and yes, even in our church. As David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. As one preacher said, revival is the time to shake up, wake up, and look up for our redemption draweth nigh. Revival didn't come to Jerusalem because the walls were built. It did not come to Jerusalem because of all the creature comforts that they were now having. You know, the walls are done, the houses are being built. That's not why revival came. Revival came because the Word of God was once again front and center. The Word of God, the revealed Word. Hey, Ed. Hiding there behind. (laughs) Good to see you this morning. Squirrel. I'm sorry, that's uh, the revealed Word of God. That's number one, and it's the first few verses there. Notice that this revealed word of God had to do with first the expectation. I'm going to come and I'm going to hear God's word. Verse 1, and all the people gathered themselves together as one person into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra. Remember Ezra, contemporary of Nehemiah, the great Old Testament scribe. And bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Remember this has been a long time since they've heard this. Probably this generation hadn't. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Would you be okay with a sermon that long? And and before the men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Expectation of hearing God's word. So they came together in unity, singleness of purpose, focused only on one thing. What was that? What is the one thing they came to hear? The word of God. Right? That's what I came to hear. I came to hear God's word. I've come to hear what God might say to me. And you notice there at the end of verse, or in verse 1, the people gathered as one person one voice they spoke they called for a reading of God's word down in verse 3 then it says the people were attentive to the word of God that is they sought to apply what God's word said and there is some symbolism here even where they met verse 1 told us where they met it was on the street before the water gate water symbol of God's word washing over us When God's people come together with expectation of hearing God's word and give themselves to the understanding of it, time is set for God to do a great work. When God's people gather themselves together for one purpose and God's word is front and center in their lives, the table is set for God to do great work. Then notice the exaltation of God's word. Read on verse 4. And Ezra the scribe, he stood upon the pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood and there's the names of, of, uh, of 13 men. And Ezra opened the book, verse 5, in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people, so he's up on this wooden platform, this riser. And when he opened it, all the people did what? Stood up. Ezra the great scribe stood on this makeshift platform. He's got 13 men flanking him. He's got, uh, he's got six of them off to the right-hand side, and he's got... Seven of them off to the left-hand side. For you, that's just opposite, right? So he's got, he's got on either side these six men, seven men, 13 men backing him up. It's an impressive scene. And then when this book is open, so the scroll, this book, it's, it's open. And what do they do? 
with, with just this great attention. They stand up. Nobody said, hey, stand up for the reading of God's word. They just stood up. There's this, this sense of I want to hear it, right? You ever been in a ball game? Somebody in front of you stands? What do you do? Rob says, sit down. Now, you stand up, right? You want to see, you want to hear, right? That's the, that's the sense of it, trying to hear what was going to end from from morning to midnight. Now, you'll be glad to know this is not a formula for revival. I'm not, so every time I open, I'm not going to ask you to stand. And every time I preach, I'm not going to say, I want you to stand until I say amen. So it's not a formula in that way. But you have to admit that our attention span in our society is pretty adolescent. Don't you think? I mean, look at me. I can't even focus without saying, oh, there's Ed. Right? I mean, we just, right? There's just so much going on. How many ways do we communicate and it's all going at the same time? We, our attention span is pretty, pretty slim. We open our Bibles on most occasions and do we come to it with any earnest expectation? Or is it a fairly casual attitude? God's Word is a sword of offense, Hebrews 4. It's a shield of defense, Proverbs 30. It's a helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6. A lamp, a light, and our hope, Psalm 119. Therefore, I will place my trust in it, Psalm 130. God's word is my first and my final authority on every action I intend to take, right? That's the sense of what you're getting here. Well, the expression of God's word, go on, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, what? Amen. And all the people answered, Amen. One more time, and all the people answered, amen. amen, there you go, and amen. And lifting up their hands, they bowed down their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So their hands are up. That might scare some of you. Their heads are down, and literally, their faces are on the ground, like their nose to the ground. And all the people said, and they wept, verse 9. When's the last time anything from God's word moved you like that? When's the last time anything from God's word moved you like that? Nobody told you what to do. You didn't. Okay, now you all lift your hands. Okay, I want you to bow your heads, right? It's all very perfunctory for us. When's the last time anything from God's word moved you like that? And they wept. Well, then don't expect tomorrow to be any different than today. We do much in our worship today, but I got to tell you, I got to tell you, uh, Romans chapter 10, faith still comes by hearing, and hearing still comes by what? The Word of God. Well, Finney said, Charles Finney said, when this book is brought to bear upon the hearts of men, revival will come, and that's exactly what continues in the explanation of God's word being brought to bear upon the people. Verse 7, now you've got another group of men. They caused, the middle of the verse 7, they caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Now, some commentators will tell you that he is speaking Hebrew, which uh, the folks had uh, now not so familiar with, and so they are giving that interpretation of it. But it seems to be more accurate to say that they, he is giving the application of it. Do you understand what's being said? You, did you hear what he was saying? Do you, you get that? you understand what that difference that makes in your life? So they read in the book, in the law of the Lord, of God distinctly. So that's, that's the concept, giving the, 
the understanding of it and gave the sense of it and caused them to understand the reading, the explanation of God's Word. Ezra read a bit. These men scattered, I suppose, among the people. They stood. They said, you understand it? You get it? Gave the sense of it, applied it. So what good? What good is my sermon if I don't offer you some application to your life? Right? What good is that Sunday school lesson that you prepared if you don't have in your mind the concept of these children and talking to these kids about Jesus? If all you're giving them is the facts and you never try to apply it to their life, what good is it? That's every time the Word of God is open. That ought to be our goal. I want to give you the explanation of what it says. That won't happen if we don't come with a ready mind, a ready heart. And that's point two in your notes there, verse nine. We'll just read these verses together. So they come with a ready heart, ready mind, the ready people. Verse nine. So Nehemiah, which is the, the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Don't mourn. See, they're weeping. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Have you ever seen a picture of a relative or met somebody you hadn't seen in a long time? You said, boy, they really changed. You know what they're thinking of you? The exact same thing. Well, that's what's going on here. It's like, wow, we've really changed. We've gotten pretty far away from what the law says. And then he said unto them, Go your way and eat the fat and drink and the, the, the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be you sorry for the joy. If you mark your Bible, you mark this, this phrase, right? You've seen this. You've heard this. For the joy of the Lord is your it's your strength. You need some strength? It's the joy of the Lord. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, Hold your peace. For the day is holy, neither be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat, to drink, to send portions, to make great myrrh, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. There are times when the best of sermons fall on deaf ears. Could be my fault. I, I get that. But you know where it always, where the, where the obligation always falls? On the listener. There are times when the best of sermons can land on deaf ears. See, I don't want any cloud hanging over my life when I come to the Word of God. What a sad look on some people's faces when they come to church. Now, I'm going to give the teens a break today and those leaders that were with them. But you know, sometimes we come to church because mom and dad said we have to come to church. Boy, they just don't look very happy. You know, sometimes moms and dads don't look very happy because they just had an argument on the way out the door as they were trying to get ready to go to church. And then we sit down in our pew and we don't look very happy because we got something about this guy or lady or somebody on the other side of the church, right? We just don't. And so then we get up out of our pews, the preacher says amen, and we walk out, and as we're walking out, we grumble under our breast. Well, we sure didn't get anything out of that sermon. Deaf ears. Deaf ears. My friend, there's only one reason you go away ever. There's only one reason you ever Go away from God's word unchanged. That's because your heart is not right with God. 
Well, how do we make sure our heart's right with God? Ready to receive the word of God? Well, that's repentance, verse 9. You saw it there. What was the reason for the mourning and weeping? Because they realized how disobedient they had been to the law. The scripture has concluded, Genesis, the scripture's concluded, all is under sin. We've all disobeyed. They hadn't heard this in a while. And they, as a result of that contrast, they realized how far away they had gotten from where they had been. Wow. Can't believe we've gotten this far away. If you come to the Word of God and nothing changes, you either have no sin or you have no heart. Go to John, 1 John. Well, you can look at it yourself, but 1 John chapter 1, you go down through that passage, and if you say you have no sin, guess what? You're calling God a liar. And if you have no heart for God and for His people, He says you're still walking in darkness. And either way, He says, you're only fooling yourself. Notice then what always happens when the Word of God is allowed to work on our hearts. Service, the requirement for service. You see it there in verse 10. Get up and go, right? Share what you have. Share what you've learned. The requirement for revival is always that we take what we've learned out into the highways and hedges and we compel them to come. That New Testament sort of phrase. Go out and tell them. You've got to come. You've got to hear this. You need to know this. This is where you need to be. Revival will always spill over into our community. Matthew Henry wrote, God's bounty should make us bountiful. Charles Finney again, he said, Revival is nothing less than renewed obedience to the Word of God. But listen to me. Revival didn't come because some unsaved person got saved. See, we, that's, I, let's admit it. When we talk about people getting right with God, who are we thinking of? Well, it's a neighbor, right? It's a neighbor. It's that guy. It's over there. It's, right? Now, if he got saved, well, what a difference that make. Hey, how about if you got right with God? <laughs> Remember, if you, you, you either have no sin or you have no heart. If you go away from this book, you say, well, I don't need that. My neighbor needs that. Then revival is never going to come, right? Well, the response of sending out, verse 11, verse 12, he gets them up, go, having understood God's word, don't continue in your grief. It's time to get up. You know, sometimes we pray and we're on our knees and we're asking God to do a work. Did you ever realize sometimes you've got to get up off your knees? You just got to get up. It's time to go to work. It's time to get after it. And so verse 12, they made great myrrh and rejoiced greatly. Verse 10, go back to that one, that phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength. As long as you sit here and argue with this book, you say, well, you know, that's, that's good stuff. My neighbor needs to hear that. <laughs> Guess what? Revival, that sense of excitement of God doing anything, it's never going to happen. Because it's always for somebody else. Wesley said, he could shake the world up with a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and, and desire nothing but God. If God came calling today, would he find a ready people among us? If God came calling today, he said, I want to do a work in Elverson, would he find a ready people? Sitting right here, a workforce who fear nothing but sin Obey nothing but God. Notice then that this service wasn't enough. One service, you know, one 30-minute service. We're going to come back. 
We're going to come, we need more of that. We're going to come back. So verse 13, so on the second day, we're gathered together, the chief of the fathers and all the people and the priests and the Levites said unto Ezra, the scribe, even to understand the words of the law, and they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in both booths, or in booths, what's up with that? Dwell in booths? Remember all that conversation about building houses? Now you go festival of booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and thick trees and make booths as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, everyone upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim, and all the congregation of them that were come again out of captivity, made booths, sat under the booths, for since the days of Jeshua, son of Nun, who is that? Jeshua, Joshua, 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 since the days of Joshua, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. Now, I think they'd probably done it, but they just not, not like now. They're, they're doing it, not like they haven't done it for a long time, in a way that's, they haven't heard in a while, and there was very great gladness. And also day by day, not just one day, not just two days, day by day from the first day until the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. On the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner, the restored purpose of God. So yesterday they came with a common place, said we will come. Today they're coming back with a common purpose. We're all here for the same thing. We've come back because we want to hear more of that. We're here for the same reason. That phrase, verse 13, gathered together, that's the idea. They've gathered together. It's not just that we're in the same room. We've gathered together. First by generation, verse 13 says, the chief of the fathers in the church, where else does revival begin? Where else does revival begin if it does not begin with fathers in the home? And leaders in the church. Where else is it going to begin? Right? It's not the job of the fathers or the leaders to say, look whose problem we got. All these people got all these problems. No. No, if revival is to happen, if God's work is to be done, where does it begin? Fathers in the home. Leaders in the church. Well, the purpose is also restored there in verse 14 by revelation. So we have the commands of Moses sort of found, if you will, that concept, wow, we've, we've found something. We haven't seen this. I haven't heard this. Wow, this message is new to me. It's been there, but it's, it's found in that sort of revealed way. It's there, but revealed to me now. What they found was something they had long since forgotten, fathers and now mothers who spend more time in the world today. So we think like the world, because that's where we spend most of our time. And leaders in the church that are so involved in their secular life that when they come to the church, we, we tend to sort of bring that over into a secular way. No, this is the church. God's Word tells us how we ought to live and behave and talk. The reason for dwelling in booths or tents at the time of this feast, verse 14, was to remind them, listen, that their identity is not in this world if I come and talk to you, we have a conversation. Our conversation is about 
where you live, where you work, that nice car you're driving, right? That's, that's our conversation. That's the typical conversation we have in the world. But this is to remind us. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it says, is the reading, right? They're reading the law. So in Deuteronomy, it says that your identity is not even found in the city of Jerusalem. This is not our identity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Our relationship to the world has been built on an illusion. Most of us can only identify ourselves by the stuff of this world, and we are not rich toward God. Luke 12. What's going to be written on your tombstone? I, I stand before people all the time in funerals. And I go down through that passage. Or what wouldn't any of us give in exchange for our soul? What is it that identifies us in life? See, in life, we have this conversation. Where you live, drive, all that, right? But in death, what's going to be on your tombstone? He drove a nice car. He had a big house. Is, do you see the foolishness of that? See, that's exactly what Jesus said. Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then who shall all this stuff be that you've taken such advantage of in this world? It is a revelation to some people, perhaps most people, that the so-called American dream is actually not very conducive to the Christian life. It's a surprise to most people. When we go on maximizing this world, what did Jesus say? You're either going to love the one, hate to the other, or you'll despise the one and cling to the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's the stuff of this world. Can't, can't maximize. You can't have both economies and say, I am rich in both. No. Can't do it. Well, they understood this, and so they make this proclamation down in verse 15. They published it, they proclaimed it, right? They published it, they proclaimed it, which is to say they not only knew what needed to be done, needed to be said, they made sure it got done, and it got said. We got to tell people this message. A revival of our hearts will renew our interest in every gospel endeavor of the church. A revival of our hearts will renew every gospel endeavor of the church. Why? Because we want to make sure people hear it, publish it, proclaim it. Missions won't lack for resources. Sunday school teachers won't lack for teachers. Or Sunday school classes won't lack for teachers. Visitation won't lack for helpers. Uh, prayer time won't lack for warriors to come and pray together. And when the time comes, our mission fields will be feel, filled with our children because we made sure our kids heard it. Well, the purpose is also restored by an application, verse 16. Very simple. What does it say? Verse 16, so they, so they did it, right? This isn't rocket science, people. Because, see, it's not up to your cleverness. It's up to a clear presentation of God's Word. So they just did it. You look through verse 16, what does it say they did? They put it on rooftops. They set it up in the courthouse, the temple courtyard, the street, and the water gate, and even spilled over onto Ephraim Avenue, which leads up to the marketplace. I mean, this is, this is like a challenge to everything of the status quo. One of the times I was teaching in, uh, in the Ukraine, Kiev, in the capital. So I was in 
Kiev. And they just had what was called the Orange Rebellion, which overthrew the Communist Party. And as you're standing in the square, everywhere you look, there were orange tents, orange banners, orange signs, right? This is a challenge to the status quo. That's what's happening here. Every public place, God's Word was being declared. We're going to set it up. This is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to establish my life on. This is what I want my children to know. I want my friends to know. I want my co-workers to know. Nothing short of a rebellion to the status quo. To which all of God's people, verse 16, said, Amen and Amen. But is there a private place of your life that you say, Well, you know, I get that. That's good for church. It's good for my little Sunday school class. It's good when I'm there for prayer meeting. But there's some part of your life. Well, you know, it's kind of dated. What God's Word says, does it really apply to dating? Does it really apply to college? Does it really apply to those circumstances of my life that I'm dealing with? Really? It's at that point, revival in your life stops. When you have that hidden part, that hidden place, that little thing that you weren't willing to let God have, and revival stops. Has God ever spoken in your home? Do the people at work know you're a Christian? Young people, probably, by the way, probably the place. So when I say this, I say it with appreciation. Because young people, if I said to you, do the people at your school know you're a Christian? Do you ever invite them to church? And i got to tell you, that's why we had 24 kids in youth group. Because that's exactly what's happening. Kids are inviting their friends to come to church. Probably the greatest outreach we have in our church. Is it enough for you to attend church and then leave what you have learned right here in the pew, go your way, and expect to find it when you get back next week? Pick it up where you left it. Really? Revival won't come unless we apply this book to every area of our life. And at whatever point you decide the Bible doesn't apply, revival ends. Well, there's also a celebration. So it's restored by celebration, verse verse 17. Right there at the end of it, you see it, verse 17. There was great, what? Gladness. Not since the days of Joshua had there been such joy. When the people get right with God, joy is restored. Psalm 51, other verses. As the chorus says, joy is a flag. This, you ever heard this? Joy is a flag is flying high from the castle of my heart. For the king is in residence there. You ever heard that phrase, that, that song? Nobody? Man, I'm getting old. <clears throat> I'm so out of date. You've never heard that. King is the, or, or joy is the flag flying high from the castle of my heart. Why? Because the king is in residence there. Do people know the king is in residence in your life? Celebration. Finally, the purpose is restored by tradition. And this word gets a bad rap sometimes. By tradition. Verse 18, again, at the end of it, according to the manner or customs. Right. So we gather according. We did all of this according to the manners and customs. On this final day of rejoicing, a solemn assembly according unto the manner and traditions that date all the way back to the time of Joshua. Tradition is not a bad word. You know, there are some days I read my Bible. Why? Because I read my Bible. Why? Because I read my Bible. 
You ever go away thinking, well, I'm, that was kind of a weird passage. But I read my Bible. It's a tradition. It's a habit, right? You got some habits like that? You just know it's time to do it. You got to do it. It's like, as I say sometimes, it's like the, the kids went bowling. Any of you young people, I know it's embarrassing, but any of you put up the bumper? I put up the bumper pads, you know why? For trick shots. Right? You ever do that? No? Really, you guys, you got to get out more. You never do trick shots? Oh, I bet some of you did. I, I want some pictures. I don't know if I got any pictures of that. That's bumper pads. Why do you set up bumper pads? Maybe you don't want to get the gutters, right? So you just set them up. You just set them up. You set these up, and, and, and the more you bowl, guess what? The less you need the bumper pads. And so there's just some things in my life that I just do them because they're traditions. It's what I do. And as I do them, the less I need those traditions, but the more I understand the reason why I do it. And now I want God's Word to wash over me, right? I want it to work in my life. I want it to answer my questions. I want it to fix my problems. I want, it, I want to get something from God. i got to have this now. I don't need them so much anymore. But I know the importance of it. Re revival reminds us all why we do what we do. Seeks to restore the purpose of the Lord in our life. If we don't have enough people to serve in some endeavor of the Lord, I know what your first thought, you know what your first thought is? Oh, we, we need more people. No, people need more of God. I am convinced. It's a promise from God's word. He says, I'm going to give the church everything it needs to, to, to survive and do its work. So either we're doing something God doesn't want us to do, or else... The people of God are not filled with the Holy Spirit. So when we have that great lack and we say, boy, I wish, I wish we had this, I wish we had that, I wish somebody would, it's because God's people have gotten so far away from what God's Word says that if it were opened to the light of day, they would say, wow, we've gotten pretty far away. So we want to make sure our heart's right with God. That's, that's the place. That's the place. My heart is right with God. Is your heart right with God? Washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right in the sight of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much for your word that speaks to us. It challenges us, and sometimes we open the corners of the Bible and we say, wow, I didn't know that was there. And sometimes the Bible speaks to corners of my life that I said, I wish I didn't know that was there. So you, you open it up, you reveal it to us, you speak to our hearts and to our minds. And what can we do but raise our hands and bow our heads and down to the dirt of the ground from which we were made? We could say nothing more than amen. Amen. So be it, Lord. And I don't know, Lord, but what someone has come to our church today, and you know, they're, they're, in the traditions of their life, they've come, but they don't understand why. Would you reveal to them why, even as we sing, would you reveal to them why you have come, why you have done what you have done, why this book, why we need you? The sin of our soul was the burden of the cross.
Forgive us, Lord. Show us your way and lead us in the way everlasting. To that end, I pray in the name of your Son and all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well, you're